0: If you would please to Matthew chapter 9 and when you found that also find the gospel of Mark chapter 5 Matthew and Mark are synoptic gospels that means that they tell a synopsis of Jesus life and both of them give similar stories same stories told in a little bit different manner and that's one of the reasons why I want us to look at two scriptures today and in this case we have a story that we've been studying for previous previously in two messages that are that are two stories that are intertwining stories and so we have to take them the way that both Matthew and Mark present this and I've entitled these messages life for two daughters there's one daughter who is given new life from physical death she's the daughter of a man who's in this story and then there's another daughter who uh, was given new life but she was given spiritual life she was a woman that was very very sick But she also received salvation from the Lord. And when she did, she became a spiritual daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we read the passage in Matthew starting there, I want you to think about these two daughters. Just notice who the two daughters are. Stand with me, please, as we read God's word. Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse number 18. While he spake these things unto them, behold, there came a certain ruler and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, But come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. And Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman, which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years, came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. For she said within herself, If I may but touch his garment, I shall be whole. But Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, and said, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was made whole from that hour. And when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the minstrels and people making a noise, he said unto them, Give place, for the maid is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. But when the people were put forth, he went in and took her by the hand, and the maid arose, and the fame hereof went abroad into all that land. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reading of your word today. Open our hearts to the message and speak to us through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The 16th, or rather the 18th verse begins, While he spake these things unto them. Well, what are those, these things, and who are them? Well, this links us to the previous passage where Jesus was speaking to some mixed-up disciples of John the Baptist, and to the them are the disciples of John. And the things that he was teaching them were things about the exclusivity of the gospel of Christ. Jesus taught them that the gospel stands alone, that the gospel is salvation in Christ alone, by faith alone, and you can never mix that message with anything else, and it still remained the truth. Christianity is an exclusive religion so that it does not admit any other paths to God the Father in heaven except by faith in Jesus Christ. And while Jesus was speaking these things, there was a man who came to him. Uh, This man was a ruler of the Jewish synagogue. Now, we've called him in the past, past messages. We're in part number three of the message now. But in the past messages, we've called him the affectionate father, This was a man who was an elder of the synagogue, a man that previously, no doubt, had been opposed to the teachings of Jesus. There's little doubt that before he was one who, if he could have done it, he would gladly have driven Jesus out of Capernaum. He was one who was a staunch supporter of the scribes and Pharisees of their religious system. He upheld their traditions. He upheld their misinterpretations of the Scripture. He supported that system. And so that made him an enemy of Jesus. And I believe it's quite remarkable that while Jesus spake these things, if there was a man who showed up who was the epitome of those that were stuck in that wrong religious system that he was just describing. Here was a man who came to him while Jesus is explaining the exclusivity of the gospel. Here is a man who comes to him trying to get to God some other way. A man who believed that he could be righteous by his own works. A man who thought that his own goodness was the way to get to heaven. And in short, he was a perfect example of that very hopeless religion that Jesus was just then discussing. Now, this man was Jairus. He was an elder, a leader in the synagogue, and he was in a helpless situation because his daughter was sick and dying. And, of course, Jesus was a healer. Well, There was no hope in his system to deal with that sorrow, no hope in his system to give him comfort, and there was certainly no hope in his system for the recovery of his terminally ill little daughter. So Jairus had to swallow his pride. He swallowed his prejudice, gave up his stubbornness. He had to admit his hopelessness, and he came to Jesus as the only one who could help him with his problem. Well, Jairus, in that sense, is just like you and me. We need help. And the only way that we are going to receive help from Jesus is when we surrender to his authority, when we bow down to his mastery, and we admit his lordship, and we believe that he can actually help us. Several weeks ago, there was a young man who came and spoke to me who was dealing with an issue of death. It's not the first time that this has happened. I've been in my office many times when there have been people that I don't know, and they come and they stop by church. They're seeking help because they've tried everything else, and they find out that when death comes, when death is near, they, show, or they understand that they're totally unequipped to handle that. And at that moment, they don't know what to do with their grief and their sorrow. They don't know how to get comfort. They don't know how to deal with dying and dealing with eternity. And so people will go and they'll seek a church or they'll find a pastor and hopefully they can get some immediate relief. And when that happens, the first thing that I always tell people, I always start out with this, there is no relief without Jesus. There's no possibility that you can deal with death without Jesus. And when you come to him in faith, he's not going to raise a dead body like he did here he may, not, he may not heal a person as he did in the later part of the story that we are going to talk about. He may not do those things, but what he does do is he gives you the ability to cope with it. He gives you the ability to get that comfort from your sorrow and your grief. And that shows us that salvation is not only good for the next life that's coming, but salvation is good for us right here and now. So Jairus had no one to help him but Jesus. And so in coming to Jesus, he admitted that Jesus was everything that he claimed to be, that he is God in the flesh, that he was healing actually by God's power. And so he came to him, he worshipped him, and he besought him greatly to come and help him. Now remember, he, he was a former enemy. There's no previous disp- disposition here for Jesus to help him. And if Jesus was going to turn someone away, this was the man that he would do it. Someone who was opposed to him. But that's not the character of Jesus. It's not his character to refuse people that come to him in faith and asking for his help. You may remember the story of when Jesus was dying on the cross that... There were two thieves that were crucified with him. And both of those thieves mocked him. Both of them reviled him. But there was one thief who, when he saw the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and when he heard him ask forgiveness for those that were crucifying him, he realized who Jesus was, and so he turned to him. And he asked for forgiveness also. And Jesus never held it against him, what he had said. Jesus never held him in contempt. There was no contempt. There was no grudge and he told him, because of his faith, that he was going to make it into heaven that very day, and that 's what Jesus does to every one of us who believe in him. All of us were his enemies, all of us who were against god we 're going our own way, but when we come to him in faith, he forgives us of our sins, he saves our souls, and he promises at that very moment that we 'll also be in paradise or be in heaven with him. So now we see in this story that Jesus honored. J. Iris faith and he began to follow him to his house and there he was going to help the man's daughter and while he was on his way there comes another woman into the picture another character and we have already called her the afflicted woman this is a woman that for 12 years had been suffering from a female disorder She has what the Bible, or had what the Bible calls an issue of blood. And for 12 years, she'd been suffering from that. She spent all of her money on doctors. She tried out all of their strange cures, but to no avail. So she's at her wit's end. She's doomed to live a life of separation. She is an outcast because of the illness that she has. We might ask, well, why was she an outcast? Well, she was because in the society that she lived in, she was living under the Mosaic law, and they would go back to the laws of Moses, and and it said there that when a woman was in this time of her life, that she was unclean. While she has this, what we would call a monthly cycle of that flow of blood, she is an unclean person. And the Bible also describes what would happen if a woman like that was to continue beyond that monthly cycle. What would happen to her? Well, she would have to remain in her separation. She was taken away from the rest of the people. She was considered to be unclean. And that's what this woman was. According to the law, she was unclean. And it meant that anybody who touched her was unclean. Anybody who touched anything where she sat was unclean. And so for 12 years, she had lived this way with no social interaction, no social outlets. She had no hope until one day Jesus showed up. And He had been healing people. He was eradicating diseases of all different sorts in in her hometown. And so she devised a plan in which she would come to Jesus that she could, if she could just get near enough to him to touch him, to venture out in the crowd, to go out there and seek out Jesus, to be where she shouldn't have been, if she could just touch him, then everything would be all right. Well, people were packed everywhere. Jesus was trying to get to Jaira's house. The crowd was there, and, and while he was being touched by all these pe- different people in the crowd, this woman reached out and touched him. Now, again, she just thought, if I can just get close enough to touch the hem of his garment. And what that really means is, in those days, the, the, the Jewish men wore a garment that had a fringe on it, and on that fringe were usually some tassels And so what she really meant here, if I could just get close enough to touch that tassel, something that he's not even going to notice, he won't even realize that I've touched him. That if I can just do that, then I'll be okay. And that's what she did. She fought through the crowd and she secretly touched him. Only it wasn't a secret because when she touched Jesus, virtue went out of him. He realized that someone had touched him in faith. And so he turned about to his disciples and he asked, who touched me? but he already knew who it was. And the disciples said, well, that's a crazy question. Who touched you? Do you see the crowd? Do you see all of these people? Hundreds of people are touching you. You're bumped, you're jostled, you're trying to get through the crowd. That's a crazy question to ask, who touched me? But not all of those people had touched him in faith. There was only one person that touched him in faith, and Jesus knew about it, and so he confronted her. And Finally, she admitted that she touched him. And Jesus then said to her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Do you remember when we talked about that statement? Thy faith hath made thee whole. He wasn't referring to her physical healing. That had already taken place. There's a different word that's used here. The word whole used in this scripture is one that's always used in the Bible to refer to salvation. The personal faith for salvation. And so this is what had happened to her. Jesus saved her soul, and at that moment, she became a daughter of God. And when Jesus addressed her that way, the term that he used was, he said it like this, he said it like, he was God, her father. That's why he called her daughter. And so she was a father by faith, and at that moment, she became, or she was a daughter by faith, and and at that moment, she became a member of the family of God. And I want to remind you today that there is nobody who is a child of God. There is nobody who is in the family of God except by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you see how many important interactions are going on here? These are intertwining stories. A man has a daughter that's dying. He comes in faith for Jesus' help. A woman became a daughter of God. A woman who was dead in her trespasses and sins. She's raised to spiritual life. And now she is in the family of God. So there we have spiritual healing that takes place. There's a spiritual resurrection here that took place. Spiritual death has been taken care of by Jesus. Now the story's ready to resume. I mean, Jesus was trying to make his way to Jairus' house, and he's interrupted by this woman who has the issue of blood. Now I'd like you to turn to over to Mark chapter 5, now in verse number 35. Jesus has just healed the woman... He just saved her, and while he was speaking to her, news arrives. News arrives, and it's really interesting when you look at this, how many times when you, when you study the life of Christ, how many times he's interrupted. And he's a very busy person. He lived a fast-paced life. He gets done with one problem, and there's another one right there knocking on his door. Now, if you'll notice here, verse number 35, Mark chapter 5, it says, While he spake, that's while he's still speaking to this woman, there came... From the ruler of the synagogue's house, certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Now let's stop there for just a moment, and we're going to look at the third part of the story, which is the assurance of Jesus. The assurance of Jesus. Now Jesus was speaking to the woman, Previously, Jairus had asked him to come to his house to heal his daughter. And no doubt he's hurrying. Time is of the essence. And as they're going, that urgency is interrupted by this woman. And so he has to take time to stop and deal with her. And I can see Jairus standing there impatiently shifting from one foot to the other, And he's thinking, hurry, hurry, hurry. We've got to go. Time is of the essence. No time to waste. And just then, while he's thinking that and Jesus is dealing with the woman, his worst fears are realized because the delay had been very costly. And in those few minutes of dealing with the woman, Jairus' daughter had died. And so there's someone who comes from the house and says, Don't bother. Don't bother now. She's already dead. There's no need to come. She died. Now, can you imagine what Jairus was thinking? What a sinking feeling that that would be to him, he thought that he had the problem solved. If I can just go get Jesus, get him to come to my house, everything's all right. But in the meantime, the, the little girl that means everything to him has died. Now, I believe that Jairus had faith. I mean, that's why he came and sought Jesus out. That's why he forsook everything and, and endangered his position in the synagogue. He had faith, but I'm not quite sure that he understood that if his daughter died... That Jesus would actually be able to do anything about it. Previous to this, we have no examples in the Gospel of Matthew of anybody being raised from the dead. So I'm not sure that he even had that much faith to know that Jesus could do this. But then he hears some very comforting words, some words of assurance. He says, Be not afraid, only believe. Do you realize how much is accomplished by faith? How much is changed by faith? Faith is extremely powerful. But it's not just any kind of faith. Faith for faith's sake is no good. The object of your faith is extremely important. And when the object of your faith is the Lord Jesus Christ, your faith is in the creator of heaven and earth. Your faith is grounded in the one who spoke the words and the universe came into existence. Life began with Jesus Christ. And so life is no problem for him. Death is no problem. So he says, don't be afraid. And when Jesus is there, there's never reason to fear. He'd already proved that when the the disciples were out there on the sea and there was that terrible storm and the disciples were afraid. But he calmed the storm and he said, don't be afraid. There's no need to be afraid because Jesus was in the boat. Later on, Peter saw Jesus walking on the water. You remember that story? And Peter said, I think I'll try that too. And he got out of the boat, and for a little while, I don't know how he did it, except by faith. He walked on the water. But then his faith began to fail, and Peter began to sink. But it was no problem, because Jesus just reached out, snatched him up, lifted him up, and everything was all right. Now, when Jesus is around, there's no reason to fear. When death comes knocking on the door, there's no reason to be afraid, because Jesus controls life and death. Never fear death when you know Jesus. Now, let's notice some things then. We're in the this, you know, this last part of the story here. Let, let's notice some things about this, and we'll be able to finish up this part of our scriptures. The delay of the arrival. The delay of the arrival of Jesus getting to the house. Now, do you think that that was accidental? The ruler comes to Jesus asking for his help. Death is at his daughter's door. Jesus agrees to help him. They scurry off and they head off to the house, but there are all these people that are out in the streets. There's a mob scene there. Everybody is always trying to get to Jesus, so it's like rush hour in Capernaum. All, all the all the streets are clogged with people. Do you think that ever mattered to Jesus? you think Jesus ever had road rage because he couldn't get where he wanted to soon enough? That didn't bother him. He didn't sweat that kind of stuff. So there was a purpose in this delay. In John chapter 11... There is that famous story of raising Lazarus from the dead. Uh, Jesus was told plenty early about the problem, that Lazarus was sick. But instead of going to Lazarus' house immediately, he waited two days before he started out. And by the time that he reached there, Lazarus had already been dead for four days. And he was in the tomb, and his body was already beginning to rot. There was a purpose in his delay, because what Jesus was about to do was to raise that man from the dead. Was it a problem for him? No. He just walked up to the tomb, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who was wrapped up like a mummy in all the grave clothes, he comes up hopping up out of that tomb, and Jesus says, Loose him and let him go. Take all that stuff off that guy and let him go. So the delay is not a problem. Jesus controls life and death. Now, systematically, what we've been shown here as we go through Matthew is proof that Jesus is the Lord and the King. The healings, the devils that are cast out, the storm on the sea that's calmed, and here is another example, Jesus' power over death. And the point that Matthew is trying to make by relating all of this to us is how can we doubt who he is? How can we doubt that he truly is God? Now, look at verse number 37. The news comes that the little daughter has died. Verse 37 says, And he suffered no man. That means he allowed no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, Why make ye this ado, and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn. Now, this then is the delusion of the crowd. Jesus said, "She's not dead. She's sleeping." Now, what did he mean by that? Was she dead or was she not? Is she dead? Did she faint? Did she pass out? Is her breathing shallow so that they can't recognize that she really is alive? No, folks, she was dead. She was absolutely dead. So, who's confused here? Who who is deluded? Is it Jesus or the crowd? well, she's definitely dead. This is just the way that Jesus speaks of death. And in the story of Lazarus, he did the same thing. They said that he was dead, and Jesus said, our brother Lazarus is sleeping. Read John chapter 11 if you want to get those details, and that's the kind of terminology that Jesus used when he speaks of temporary death. And you might want to hold on to that information for a few minutes because we'll come back to it a little bit later. Now, when you die, something happens to your body, doesn't it? The body starts decomposing immediately. There's this little thing that's called rigor mortis that begins to set in and the body begins to stiffen. I remember when I was talking about this in part number one of the message a few weeks ago uh, that I, I said I've seen many dead bodies in the moments after death. Whatever is going on when you die... Whatever position that you're in is where you stay. Unless somebody comes and moves the body, that's where you stay. And the body begins to stiffen up. Within two hours, rigor mortis has said, and the body becomes stiff and it stays that way for about three days. Now, there was no doubt about this. She was dead because by the time that Jesus got there, the funeral had already started. So what we see in verses 38 and 39. People are already there. They're weeping and they're wailing. And Jesus sees all that and says, Why are you making all this ado? Why are you weeping? Well, Let's talk about that for a minute. What went on at a Jewish funeral? Well, one thing we'll see. They didn't waste any time. They already started the funeral. That she was sick. They were expecting her to die. The inevitable is going to happen. So they're all just gathered around there just waiting for her to die and start the funeral. Well, this was a very important man. His daughter had died, and so there would have been a crowd there. Lots of people that came to this. They knew that she was dying. Lots of people were at the funeral. I've been to a lot of funerals. I don't take bets. My bookie does that. I don't take bets. Um, No, that's a joke. But if if I took bets, I would bet my house that I've been to more funerals than anybody in this room. Unless you are a mortician... I've been to more funerals than you've been to. I grew up in a pastor's house. My dad preached funerals. Whenever there was a funeral, they took me. I went. I've been to lots and lots of funerals. I can't even count the number I've been to. But I've never been to a funeral like this one. Their funerals are different than ours. Our funerals are quiet. Nobody makes a sound. I mean, there's whispering and there's tiptoeing. And as a child, I didn't quite understand why there was all that silence at a funeral. I mean, it's not like you're going to wake up the dead person or anything like that. You know, my mother used to tell me that when I was rowdy and making a lot of noise. She'd say, you're making so much noise, you can wake the dead. But, but even I knew that was hyperbole. You weren't going to wake people up that were dead. So why is everybody so quiet? Well, we, we understand that. We've got it figured out now. When you get a little bit older, you understand that's out of respect. When people are sorrow and grieving, you respect their sorrow. But it wasn't that way at a Jewish funeral. The way to give respect to a person was not to be quiet. It was to make as much noise as you could. And so they had all this weeping and wailing. And what they would do is they hired professional mourners to do this. They actually had people that were professionals at going to funerals and weeping and wailing and crying out. And so here Jesus arrives on the scene and people are screaming, Why? 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 She's so young. She's so innocent. She's so precious. Why is she gone? And they're making all of this noise and they just keep all that up. And what they would do at these funerals is they would tear their clothes up in pretended sorrow. And do you know these self-righteous Pharisees even had a law concerning that? There was a certain way that you had to tear your clothes at a funeral. I mean, there's a way that you had to go about this. So the mourners are there, and being professionals, they would do their job very well. They are hired to do this, and so they would have researched the family. They know the names of all the people in the family that had already died. And so as they're weeping and wailing, they bring up all of those names, Aunt Sally and Cousin Jane and Grandpa Jones and all of that. Oh, and they just weep and wail, and really a lot of noise that's going on. But that's not all. They have musicians there. The law even said that you had to do this. Even if you were poor, even if you were poor, you had to hire at least one wailing woman and two flute players. So you've got to have somebody there with music. You've got to have somebody that's crying. I don't know why they did that. Maybe, maybe we need to do that here and help keep up our economy, get everybody employed, have some professional weepers and wailers and all that. But here's what you have. You have this huge funeral going on. He's a very important man. There are many weeping and wailing women, there are many flute players are there, and Jesus arrives and this whole thing is just a spectacle. So he says, now wait a minute, she's not dead, she's sleeping. Now what do you think the professional mourners thought? She better be dead, or we're not getting paid. (laughs) And the Bible says here, they laughed him to scorn. Now they're professionals. Right? They're professionals. Here they are one moment, you can tell it, one moment they're weeping and crying and the next moment they're laughing at Jesus. These are professionals. So they've been to a lot of funerals. They know she's dead. And so their thought is, Jesus, you must be soft in the head or something. We know that she's dead. But have you ever noticed this as you go through scriptures that Jesus is not very big on funerals? Every time he goes to a funeral, he ruins it. I mean, perfectly good funerals. Flutes and flowers and weeping and wailing. And Jesus comes and he raises people back to life. If you want a good funeral, don't call Jesus. I mean, that, that he ruins everyone. Thirdly, we see here the demand from Christ. Now, we're still in Mark chapter 5, verse number 40. And they laughed him to scorn. And when they had put them all out, when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. So Jesus comes on the scene, they're all the mourners, they're the musicians, and he threw them all out. He demanded that they shut up and leave the scene. So he put them out. Have you ever wondered why these people always followed his instructions? I mean, why didn't somebody stand up to him? They hate him, they mocked him, but nobody ever stood up to him. They laughed in his face, and he said, get out, and nobody said, make me. I wouldn't, would you? Nobody said that. And that's because even though they didn't respect the person, they respected his authority. He spoke as one who had authority. I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, please, to John chapter eighteen. Uh, keep your finger there and mark because we're coming back. But we're going to venture out of our story here just a little bit and get us get us get a get a piece of non trivial trivia here. In John chapter eighteen and verse number one. This is on the night that Jesus was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they come with a mob to seize him and to take him to the cross. John 18, verse number 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden, that's the Garden of Gethsemane, into the which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For oftentimes Jesus resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he said unto them, I am he... They went backward and fell to the ground. Now, I don't know what was in his voice, but you see what Jesus said here? He said, I am. I am. And the voice that spoke to them in that garden was the same voice that spoke to Moses 1,500 years earlier in the burning bush. And God said, I am that I am. And you know, Moses was shook by that. Moses had already taken his shoes off because he was on holy ground He was talking to Jehovah God, Almighty God. And Jesus said, I am. And those words actually translate into the name of Jehovah God. This is Jesus saying, I am God. Now get that into your heart and mind. You better be careful how you flippantly speak of Jesus. Be very careful how you use his name. Oh, Jesus Christ. And things like that. Be very careful. Be very careful... How, how familiar that you become with him because he is the eternally existent great I am, Jehovah God. So when he said, get out, there was something in that voice that put down all the protest. They got out and nobody argued with him. So he threw them out and he took Jairus and his wife and Peter, James, and John and he went into the room where this little daughter was lying. She's only 12 years old, but now she's dead. And next we see the purpose, the great purpose of the retelling of this story, and that is the deliverance from death. Verse number 41 in Mark 5, And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha kumai, which is being interpreted, Damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. So Jesus took her by the hand, told her to get up. And the words that you're reading there in Mark, those are words in Aramaic. If you want to know how to say damsel arise or girl get up in Aramaic, this is how you do it. You just say talitha kumai. That's what I say to my wife on Sunday morning. Talitha kumai, girl get up. (laughs) So he told her to get up and she got up. Why did she get up? Because Jesus is God. He has power over death. Dead people don't get up unless Jesus tells them to. Now let's go back to the Gospel of John one more time. And this time we're going to John chapter 5. And I hope that you have been retaining this information. We've spent three weeks explaining this. And if you get nothing else, you need to get what I'm going to say now. We've looked at two types of death in these messages. One is spiritual, one is physical. And in John chapter 5, there are two types of death that are spoken of, and there are two different types of dead people that are spoken of. Now, one month ago, we started with the premise, life for two daughters, because there are two different types of death. And that's why I titled the message that way. And I read this scripture to you from 1 John, or rather from the Gospel of John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus says, Verily, verily... I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. And listen, but is passed from death unto life. Now that's the first type of death. When you were born, you were born dead. I know that's a scary thought, but when you were born, you were born spiritually dead. This woman has the issue of blood. She was spiritually dead. But when she had faith in Jesus, he said, thy faith hath made thee whole. That was saving faith. And what Jesus meant there was that he moved her from spiritual death into spiritual life. She passed from death to life. That's what he says in John 5, 24. So she's born again by faith in Christ, moved out of the realm of spiritual death into spiritual life. Notice verse 25. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Now there, Jesus is speaking of all people that come to him in faith. The voice of God speaks to them, and in that spiritually dead condition, he raises them to spiritual life so they may live. They're raised to life so they might believe in him, and that's when they become sons and daughters of God by faith. When they believe, they're no longer condemned for their sins. Now, the important thing here is, has that happened to you? Do do you know about this? I mean, that's my purpose of spending time on these scriptures. If you don't get this, then then this is all futility. It doesn't mean anything. You need to be delivered from eternal death. And this is how you do it. You believe in Christ, and when you do, that faith means that you pass from spiritual death into spiritual life. Jesus said in John 8, 24, if you don't believe that I am the Christ, the Savior of the world, that I am eternal God, he says if you don't believe that, you will die in your sins. So that's the first kind of death. Those that will be saved will hear the voice of God and they that hear. And the word hear there actually means believing as they hear. When they hear... They'll be born again. They'll become the children of God. Verse 26 says, For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. That verse tells us he is God. He has the authority of God. He can raise people from death to life. Now notice the second type of death. We find it in verse 28. Marvel not at this. For the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves... Now we got a different type here. People that are in the graves shall hear his voice... ...and shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life... ...and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. Now one of these days, the Bible is teaching us that Jesus is going to speak again. And his voice is going to be physically heard by dead bodies that are in the graves... And then those dead bodies that died, just like Lazarus, just like this little girl in the story, just like all the funerals that Jesus attended, they will hear the voice of the Son of God, and they will come out of those graves. The body comes out of the grave. And when does does that happen? Well, that happens when Jesus comes back, when, when he comes again. Those that have died in him will hear his voice, and their bodies will be raised from the graves and will rejoin their spirits in heaven. Those that have done good, that means those that have believed while they were still living, they believed in Christ, they died in faith, they'll be raised. But there's also another story here as well. He says some have done evil. I mean, some didn't believe. They didn't receive Christ. These are people, some of them, sat in church services like this one today. And they went out not having received, not having believed Christ as Savior, they never surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. They never put their faith in Him. They never touched Jesus, and He never touched them. And what happens to them? Their dead bodies also come out of the graves, only they join their spirits in the everlasting fires of hell. They have been raised to eternal damnation. Now, here Matthew has proved another outstanding characteristic of Christ He is God, He is the King, He is the Savior. He has power over death, both types of death. He can raise your spiritually dead life into spiritual living life, dead life. That doesn't make sense, does it? But he raises people from dead spiritual death into spiritual life. Because he lives, because he came out of the grave himself, he has the power to take your body to eternal life in heaven. Now, what I want you to see here is, as always, the story is tied to the cross. We're always going to be talking about the cross of Jesus Christ. Somewhere it's all going to come back to that. Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. He died there. He was put into the grave. And because he came out of the grave, he has power over death. Power over spiritual death and power over physical death. So why is all of this important? Well, once again, Christ's kingdom is a kingdom where there is no death, and this is a look at that kingdom. No sickness, no pain, no demons, no distress, perfect control over every area of our existence, and that means also the power of life and death. So what does that mean to you? What do you need to do? Well, you need to reach out and touch Jesus. You you need to touch him. And when you touch him, he will say to you, your faith has made you whole. Arise, come and follow me. That's what he does in salvation. Put your faith in him, believe him. And I promise you, he'll never refuse you. He will save your soul. He'll raise you from spiritual death to spiritual life. And one of these days, your body will come out of the grave and join your spirit in heaven. Death is no match for Jesus. He conquers death let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great stories that we read from your word and how they illustrate what the Son of God is able to do. Lord, we just pray that there would be someone here today who would recognize this and they would put their faith in you, that today they would be raised from that spiritual death into spiritual life. Lord, just bless and speak to our hearts today. Draw Christians close to you. May we be praying for people in this auditorium today who don't know you. Cause someone today to come to you in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.